You're listening to 247 Real Talk. Good evening. This is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I've decided to start a new trend, a new segment called In the News, where I pick a few topics out of the headline news and discuss them, giving my opinion, hoping that you, my listeners, will interact, engage in conversation, and provide me with feedback or your thoughts. I'll be right back. Good evening to all my listeners out there. Thank you for joining me for this episode of In the News, the first episode of In the News that I'm hoping will spark a series where I can have honest and truthful conversations and, and give my opinions on, on hot button topics, things that are in the headlines. Hoping that we can continue the conversation across the nation, across the world to bring us together as people, as human beings. And hoping at the same time to ensure that we continue to talk so that we can make a change in this world and a change in each other's lives. These are my opinions. Uh, they're subject to controversy. I understand that. But I'm hoping you'll join me in a conversation that is productive. So on this first episode, and it, and it wasn't pre-planned, I have to be honest with my audience while I've been thinking about the in the news segment for a while, tonight was not planned. I have a guest who was a no-show, and so I decided what better opportunity but to go ahead and start the segment. So as I looked uh, or I glanced at the, um, the news, I see that, and I think many of you can remember an incident that happened last year in Central Park in New York City where a woman, um, and we're dealing with race in America, let's be honest, let's not uh, feel that we can't speak freely. A white woman called 911 on a black man um, that she claimed was threatening her because he'd asked her to put her dog on a leash. And luckily it was videotaped. And subsequently, you know, different things happened. The man forgave her. He accepted her apology. But she also got fired by her, by the company. Um, and I think that, you know, she was a high-ranking, if I remember, a VP or something, some, but one of that level. So she's now suing her former employer. And it says here, uh, it says here that she's alleging that her company did not properly consider her fear for personal safety prior to firing her. Now let's talk. Because it's amazing how people can look for ways to manipulate conversations, to manipulate the system, to misdirect the focus off of what things really are. And so I want to speak on it from the perspective of her thinking about her personal safety. The video for his, you know, safely, clearly showed that she was never in any danger. The video clearly showed that the man was polite enough asking her to put her dog on a leash. But I have to think, and I, I think I mentioned this before when I had an episode regarding, you know, I touched on this topic. 
working in corporate America, working in, you know, with, with, with different companies, you have to wonder. When you look at the upward mobility of minorities in the company, minorities who are qualified, and, and you know, it's amazing when I speak with people and find out so many people out there with master's degrees, you know, some with PhDs, some with, you know, double masters and, and, and who are doing their all, have done their all to educate themselves, to have, have put their energies towards becoming the best they can be. And they walk around deflated. They walk around deflated. They walk around, you know, angry. They walk around struggling. And they're struggling because no matter what they do, they can't seem to get ahead. And when we look at the top of a lot of these companies, they are mostly the, the board of directors and the people who make the decisions on salaries and everything else are not African-American or they're not minority. Let me, let me correct. They're not minorities. They are predominantly white in most of these companies. If someone such as this woman who, you know, felt made that, that call, that, that call that was an attempt to, put another black man, another minority in trouble, if not for the video, if she was sitting in the position of vice president, what do you think the thought process was and the conversation was as they looked down the ranks and determined who to promote, who to bring higher up in their companies, who to make more visible as the face of their companies and how many people? Um, of, of, you know, uh, or how do they choose the people? Do they choose them um, by their, their work ethic and their education and their productivity? Or do they choose them by race? I think a lot of America has been having so much of this conversation that now we have to kind of feel like they choose them by race. And it's a shame. It's a shame because and I've mentioned this to many of my listeners. I grew up in a very mixed culture. I grew up, I want to say almost naive. I didn't grow up in the United States of America, and I grew up very naive because I grew up with friends, and I still have lifelong friends to this day, friends I've known for 30, 40 years who are white, who are um, from all different parts of the world. I didn't grow up seeing color. I know that may be hard for many people to believe, but the fact is that in other parts of the world, these challenges are, are, are somewhat different. So, and then, I, and, and then working in corporate America and working, you know, as over my career, I too have seen how this system works and how people are subjected to um, decision or non-decisions in their favor when they go, when we, you know, we go for jobs, I've done it myself. I've gone for jobs with, with tremendous credentials and, and I don't get the job. And there's always that, uh, oh, you were a really good candidate, but we decided to go in a different direction. You know, sometimes it's right. Hey, listen, sometimes, you know, jobs I went for, they didn't want me for whatever reason. But the point is that when the people at the top, if, 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 if this, this, this woman felt threatened by this black man, which, like I said, we've all seen the video, and you know, how does she feel about promoting people in the ranks to be directly report to her, to, to 
make the kind of salaries that might put them in, you know, that may, might make them semi-wealthy. These are private companies, you know. I mean, these large companies that have, you know, hundreds or thousands of employees, who is examining this to see the, to, to, you know, what the equality is here in terms of opportunities? We all know we faced it. It's, it's a stigma now. It's a, the systemic racism is deep enough that we have to be honest. And again, I have friends of every single race, creed, or color, I, and, and they're, they're lifelong friends. This conversation is, is that I'm having here about in the news and picking this topic that caught my attention. While the issue itself was obviously racist, what we, that we saw in the video, I'm not talking about racism here. I'm talking about, well, I am talking about racism, but I'm talking about eradicating racism. I'm talking about equality. I'm talking about people who, you know, people wonder why their marches, why people, you know, go out in the streets and protest, why people are angry. And you've got to understand, and I hope the world eventually understands, that people who, that, and there are people out there who don't understand, not because they're, they're being hypocritical, but because they live in a bubble. I also spoke about this in the previous episode. I have a couple of friends I know who, who I'm not sure I can explain this to them because they live in a bubble. They're the nicest people in the world, but they've been, they've, they've, been born and they've grown and they've matured and they're adults in the same bubble. You'd be surprised to know these bubbles exist in the midst of this chaotic society, this chaotic fight for equality. And so they have never, you know, they, they live in a certain neighborhood. Everything they need is in that neighborhood. When they travel, they travel to other you know, countries around the world that, that, that where, where they don't see, or they're not exposed to, what the rest of, you know, or what minorities in, in society are facing. And so I think it is incredible that after this man has accepted her apology, after, you know, I think, I, and I think, I could be wrong, but I think he also advocated for dropping charges. I'm not sure how that's gone, so don't quote me on that. But after all of that, she feels that her company needed to consider her feelings about her personal safety. She had the dog, by the way. He didn't have the dog. She had the dog now on a leash, so she was. That's a law. I believe there's a leash law for that. And then there's clear, you know, the clear conversation with her calling nine one one and the lies that were told, basically, with the man standing right there about him being a threat. Why would a company, I have to agree with this company wholeheartedly, although, and I've mentioned this before, you have to wonder how much of this, how much more of this exists in that company as, as many other companies. And, you know, it's easier for them to fire the person and save face rather than examine themselves from within and deal with the situation. So, again, I know that my opinion may be controversial, uh, I have, again, I'll make this disclaimer again. I'll say it. I have friends of every race, creed, or color because I did not grow up seeing race. And I, and I know it might be hard for many people to believe, but this, I struggle with, what's, with what I've been exposed to over the last, I don't know, 20 years or whatever here because it's hard for me to see that when I see friends that I, that, who are genuine to me, who, who 
at least in my presence and throughout the evidence that they have presented throughout our friendship, do not look at my color as a way they interact or deal with me. Maybe I'm still naive. Who knows? I did also mention in previous episodes that I've seen friends on Facebook that I've, uh, that I've unfriended and that I've, you know, some I've blocked because I saw comments that they made over the, the last election and all these things, not geared towards their political ideology, but it was obviously towards race and towards, you know, gender. And I felt like if this is what they truly feel, then I don't think they could genuinely look at me and call me a friend. And, and I questioned our entire friendship enough that I dissolved the friendship. So I'd like to know what you think about, um, you know, this whole lawsuit. You'll drop me a, a, a line at uh, podcast at 247realtalk.net. Um, you know, keep it up. Keep it. Let's have a good conversation. If you disagree with me or you feel that I've, I've said something wrong, um, I'll certainly, you know, read your comments on my show. And I'll, I'll, I'd even agree to, depending on the circumstance, to having you on the show as a guest so we can have a deeper conversation. The next topic I'm going to touch on for In the News today, the next headline has to do with another mass shooting. This one, I believe, let me check the news here, is in a, a rail yard in San Jose. So this is another controversial topic. The issue I have with the continuous mass shootings and what our politicians are doing is that they're never addressing the true problem. Again, my opinion, full disclaimer. But what I see that happens here is when, when, when there's a mass shooting, when people lose loved ones and, 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 it, and they go through that pain, they look to the politicians to make a change that will hopefully prevent this from happening again. But politicians are forever playing politics. And I want everyone to think about this clearly because there's a few things that have angered me over time as I watch the responses to these things. Law-abiding citizens who have licensed firearms or who will go and buy a firearm presenting correct ID, who have no issues with people checking to make sure that they have, you know, that they don't have the criminal background that, that prevents them from owning a firearm. The laws, these are the people who are affected by the laws that are changed. So when you, when you, when you change a law that makes it harder for someone to purchase something from a gun store, yes, you certainly will prevent uh, people with certain mental illnesses and certain intent uh, or who, who should not have a firearm from getting one. But you're also ultimately tightening the noose on people who are already following the law. And the fact of the matter is that when people, you know, these, these gun laws and, and the effort to, to enact, you know, more gun control, these things are, are more recent in you know, what we call recent times or have been, or have been uh, progressing recently. 
We have, America's been the country that always supported the right to bear arms, Second Amendment. So there are millions, there have to be millions of, of firearms out there that no one knows about that were bought from the store. The guy just walked in and he bought them and he, he's, you know, he's an enthusiast, he's a hunter, he's a you know, competition shooter, whatever, and they've bought over time. There have to be tons of them out there. And I don't think there's any way for anyone to regulate that because I think it's too late. So what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know, I want to make sure that people who have mental health issues, people who are of criminal backgrounds do not get their hands and guns. I think everybody can appreciate that. But I think they need to address the issue further. I don't know what this latest shooting will show about the shooter, but I remember in many cases listening to the news and hearing I think there was one in the movie theater years ago. I don't remember. Don't hold me to the names or anything. And I won't call the names because I can't remember the exact details. But I remember that that shooter, the mother said, you know, I had called the police and I had told them that, you know, my son has, you know, has this issue or I tried to get help for him and I was turned away. You know, nobody wants to pay attention to the fact that, there's, there's, there's something very familiar about the people who commit these crimes. And, you know, preventing them from getting their hands and guns is a fantastic thing to do because we all want to feel safe, no matter who you are. Whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, you want to feel safe. But you want politicians to actually use taxpayers' money when they're going to do these things and enact these laws to actually do something that will make a difference. So if someone goes into a gun store and buys a gun and presents a driver's license and they get a background check, that's likely a law-abiding citizen who is not responsible, will never be responsible for the mass shootings. At least there's probably a 99% chance not. We have had mass use where people went to a store and they say, I want to be careful, they say they bought the guns legally to the extent that they went in the store and they bought the guns. But whenever you, you, you when they, all the details are revealed, then we recognize that, well, they should not have been able to do that because there was something in their past that should have sent up a red flag, that should have prevented them to, but the effort and the laws that are being enacted are never geared towards stopping that. We always talk about it after the fact. A person who had a criminal background, a person with a mental health issue, if that person specifically is, 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 is added to some sort of system, once it is qualified now, not frivolous, but once it is determined that this person is truly a, a danger to themselves in society, it should be established that they can't buy a firearm. But these red flags go up every single time we hear about the mass shooting. There was some red flag, and these red flags continue to be ignored. And then we hear all these things in the news, and, and Congress is fighting over this bill, and you know, blah blah blah. And the bottom line here is, you tighten the noose around people who are already doing the right thing, and you you do nearly nothing to prevent the people who shouldn't have the guns truly from not getting them. I know that's going to be a controversial uh, 
uh, commentary by my, you know, th- th- those are just my thoughts. Again, this is not, the Indian news topics is not for argument. It's for discussion. If you feel that you'd like to discuss it more, we can talk about it more in a civilized manner. Maybe it takes the people instead of the politicians to come up with a solution that finally addresses the issue the way it should. Um, the last topic I'm going to talk about, and I'm trying to find it here, so bear with me. I read an article. It's not from Headline News today, um, but there was something about an airline will charge or, or is contemplated charging passengers by weight. And when I say by weight, I don't mean their luggage. I mean, you know, by the, by the weight of the person. And I, I would look at it and saying that that can't be true. You can't, you know, I, I don't know how everyone feels about that, but I think that it what really bothered me, and I'm still trying to find the article here, but I can certainly speak on it because I did see it. Um, what really bothers me about that is you're telling me that people people are overweight for different reasons. People struggle um, for with, you know for for many reasons. People struggle with weight. I have gone through my own struggles back and forth. You know, um, I've got many family members who've gone through it. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it has to do with things that are going on in your life. Sometimes it has to do with, uh, you know, uh, your inability, sickness, illness, you know, real, real illness that threatens your life. And so to actually have someone pay more money because of their weight is is I think ridiculous. You know, I, I, I think I posted the article online somewhere to, to get comments and people, you know, some people were made the fun of it and I understood that they weren't being cruel. They were simply, you know, it was kind of they felt it was kind of funny, you know, people look for humor and everything, especially when we just finished a year or something of COVID. I think we can use all the humor we get, but this is more. This is much more serious than that to me. I don't think that. I think that you're creating. You can. You can possibly create a mental health crisis by having people, especially someone who has to travel frequently, have to pay for their ticket according to their weight when they're overweight. And here's the article. So this was a Fox Business article. Uh, and it says airlines could soon start weighing passengers before flights. And, you know, uh, airline passengers may be required to step on a scale at the airport or share how much they weigh before boarding a flight. Uh, data airlines used to measure passenger weight to ensure safety on board planes may be outdated as the obesity rate in the United States increases. Now air carriers may have to update average passenger weight. So basically what they're saying is, look, you know, um, and this is not the, this is not the, and I'm not sure if this is the other, uh, the actual article that talked about how it reflects or how it can be translated into the cost of that passenger's ticket. But 
what this article, the one I just found, was saying is that so the, the when when planes determine their flight capacity, their weight capacity, they use an average of how many passengers, and they use an average weight, and they're saying that they have to update that because. Basically, to put it bluntly, people in the United States are more obese now, and so that has to change. Well, on a jetliner, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard one you know, crashing because they, they had like, too many overweight passengers on board. You know, these airlines all, all deal with profit. They all deal with carrying as much cargo as they can. And so... You know that's where their money is, and so you know, the, you know, to heck with the passengers. You know, it's 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 crazy because I can think back about you know f- for years when you could travel and you you had two you allowed two suitcases. I think many years ago, many many years ago, it was two suitcases at a hundred pounds, and then they went to two suitcases at seventy five pounds, and then fifty pounds. And now we have airlines that you have to pay for even one bag. I mean, where are we going with this? How greedy are we getting? What are we doing here that we're taking the joy out of just daily life for profit? It's all about the bottom line all the time. We, we are failing as human beings to recognize why we're really here, to recognize the abilities we have to make other human beings happy by living a life that's supportive, by living an inclusive life that allows others to live. Every company out there is, the bottom line has become so much more important than the employee or most of them. And the result is that we are now a commodity. We're no longer individuals. We're no longer people. We no longer matter as individuals. The host of 247 Real Talk, Julian Perry, does not matter to an airline it does not matter whether 10 of us go on and we all have a great experience. It matters the bottom line. How much money are we going to make on this flight? I understand you have operating expenses, but you, you, you've got to understand. I mean, I don't know how many of us sit down and really think about this, about how many companies out there people have worked hard to build. I get it. But at some point when you're, you're, your, your salary is 12, 15, 18 million dollars a year. How does that equate to running a company and you have employees making minimum wage when you can do better? They're working with, with you know, some of them now struggling recently you know, to get health insurance. They're working long hours. They can barely feed their families. And now... You know, you get to the point where you want to weigh passengers to make sure that you you update your charts and your data, not for safety, because again, I don't I don't know about anybody who's obese bringing down a plane, but to make sure that you can do your you you have your algorithm work so that your profits are not impacted by one cent, and so that you can continue to make more and more and more money. We are a greedy society. We've gotten so much to the point where. Stepping to the top doesn't matter if we have to step on top of people to get to the top. What I'm saying is not foreign to most people who will listen to this podcast. We all go out there every single day and we try to do the best we can 
to make a living, to take care of our families. But in many cases, what are, what are we what are we taught? What are we conditioned to do? We conditioned to go in the direction that allows us not just to make a living, not just to pay our bills and to have a little nest egg and to be able to take a vacation and to live happily. No, that's got to be a personal choice because the 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 expectation is that you will go to work every day pushing to make more money and more money and more money and step on who you have to and compete with who you have to and going to work and fight and, and cut whoever's throat that you need to and, and argue and, 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 and look for every opportunity to push someone else down so you could, ha- you could get the spotlight, so you could stand taller. And, 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 you know, and, and if you're a manager, employ enough people under you who make you look good and if, they're, if they don't make you look good, you're not interested in investing in them to them to become better. You're just interested in... in replacing them with someone else who comes a ready-made talent that just makes you look like a superstar. We don't live the way we were intended to. We don't live, or we, I should say we don't work to live. We live to work. And that is why I think that for the most part, we're on a self-destructive path. And we have certainly lost our way. So I hope you've enjoyed the first installment of In the News. I will try to make it a lot more interesting now that this was impromptu. I will try to you know, tag um, several interesting topics on, uh, from the headlines so that when I do come on with another one, I can touch several more topics and, and really add some meaningful discussion and meaningful thoughts to the conversation. It was a pleasure doing this first episode, especially since I did it off the top of my head at the last moment. But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you thought about what I said. I hope you either agree or disagree or whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. Just as long as we talk, just as long as we have a conversation, just as long as we remember that we are here to live together, that it is not about smoking mirrors at this point of our lives, at this point of the existence of the universe, it should be about reality. Reality about race, reality about equality, reality of self-reflection, and the reality to stand on what we believe, live the life we are supposed to, and make sure that we empower each other to do the same. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the first installment of the new segment I'm calling In the News. As always, I want to thank my supporters for your continued support. I'll remind you as usual that you can listen to this episode and all episodes of 247 Real Talk Podcast on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave me a message, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, please do email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.